Hi, everyone. You're listening to episode number 16 of the Elysium Project podcast, recorded at the 2019 Canada Fruit Festival with Dr. Samuel Milkarski of drsampt.com, Dr. Areli Cuevos Ocampa, known as Raw Vegan Doctor on social media, and Chris Kendall from The Raw Advantage. I'm your host, Brian Johnson. If you support the Elysium Project vision and enjoy the content we produce, we encourage you to head over to our Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash Elysium Project TV, where you can pledge a monthly amount to help keep this show and vision afloat. We have four levels of monthly support to choose from, starting with our bronze tier at only $3 per month, which is less than 10 cents per day. We're currently looking to rebuild our support base, so if you sign up in the next month, we have some special promotional items to give away, including the Elysium Project water bottle. This show does cost money to keep going, so we really do appreciate your support. Once again, that website is Patreon, spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Elysium Project TV. Or you can also find the link from our website, www.elysiumproject.tv. First off, I want to apologize for the microphone scratching in this interview. The one thing I forgot to bring to the festival was my microphone pop filters. So please bear with me as I'm always learning technical lessons on this journey. All right, today is August 11th, 2019, and we're here at the second ever Canadian Fruit Festival in beautiful British Columbia, Canada. On this episode, I'm joined by Chris Kendall from therawadvantage.com, registered holistic nutritionist, raw food lifestyle coach, and raw chef. Stoked to be here. Thanks, man. Absolutely. Dr. Samuel A. Milkarski. Sorry. Milkarski. Milkarski. Perfect. Dedicated to raising health for a better world, Dr. Sam can help evoke the beneficial changes needed to help your group or organization thrive and prosper at a higher level, experiencing a higher quality of life, as well as saving precious time, energy, and money. Thanks, Brian. Awesome to be here. Absolutely. As well, we have Dr. Areli. You're going to have to help me with this one again. Cuevas Ocampo. Perfect. Dr. Aurelia Cuevas Ocampo. And she is a consultant neuropathologist in the UK, as well as a plant-based medical doctor and raw vegan, known as the Raw Vegan Doctor on social media. Thank you, Brian, for having me here. Absolutely. So today we're going to be talking about what it takes to succeed living a raw vegan lifestyle, the challenges people often face, and how to overcome them. So let's just get into it, um, starting out with some of the basics of why someone, because I do have listeners that aren't necessarily living this lifestyle, and why we believe that the raw vegan lifestyle is really such an amazing way to to go about living life. You know, I'd, I'd almost start by just saying, like, why not? You know, the more information we get about the climate, the more information we see from behind slaughterhouse doors, the more information we see when we open up our heart. Know, raw vegan lifestyle it just it, it's a real lifestyle of abundance that is great on every single faucet of living from the environment to the animals to your own health to your longevity to your sports physique and fit, fitness levels all that stuff you know so if you're interested in all those things or any of those things i'd say why not raw vegan mm-hmm. absolutely and uh I, i'm curious for each the three of you what inspired each of you to take that step to become raw vegan 
Well, my path was definitely health challenges, as it is other people's. Uh, way back in 1998, I did the Mr. Atlanta Bodybuilding Competition as a novice lightweight and was holding a second-place trophy on stage, looking pretty jacked up and good, so I thought. <laughs> and in the weeks to come, my insides weren't looking so great. So really downward, quick spiral into massive amount of uh, gro groin and back pain, swollen prostate to the point I couldn't urinate at all. Mm -hmm. um, I ended up developing like fibroids and and masses in my groin and along my bladder and then got depressed and kind of withdrew from society. So after not receiving a lot of help from a couple of doctors who just told me, you're awful young, don't worry about it. I went home that day and just sat in quietude and was given divine guidance and was told if you do what you're shown to do, you'll not only heal, but you'll know health at a level you didn't know possible and you will give this back to other people or the lessons will get harder. So what's it gonna be? So I'm like, deal. Wow. Perfect. Yeah. You know, I mean, I got into this for athletic reasons initially. Uh, I was a skateboarder, grew up skateboarding, wanted to be a professional, and came to a place where I was drinking a ton. I was smoking mm -hmm. cigarettes and ganja nonstop and eating as much fast food as I possibly could. Uh, brought me to a place of joint pain, of severe candida or chronic candida, uh, of depression. I literally didn't want to go on living. I'd go to bed at night and didn't want to wake up. I'd be in airplanes and wish they'd crash. Uh, I just wasn't myself anymore, you know, and I found yoga in Walmart in a VHS tape, which <laughs> led me towards yogic philosophy and the power of karma and the importance of eating more plant-based foods, which spawned an interest in nutrition. And it was basically about a four-year transformation process where I, I studied nutrition as much as I possibly could. It became a huge interest, as did yoga, and I still just wanted to really be able to chuck my body off of buildings and off of stairs and heal very, very fast until uh, I found myself in a nutritional college, CSNN, Canadian School of Natural Nutrition. I went to a vegan health festival and met long-term raw foodist Dr. Doug Graham, okay. uh, who at that time hadn't created the 80-10-10 diet but was living it. And he was very generous with his time. The next day I went 100% raw and my entire paradigm shifted away from just doing it for skateboarding to doing it what I knew that's what I wanted to bring to others my heart center burst open and I never really looked back besides some transitional bumps along the road and you know led me to doing what I'm doing now and that I do it for every reason like I mentioned in the beginning now there's so many reasons to do it but the initial impetus was just to chuck my body off, off of buildings and steps skateboarding <laughs> <laughs> perfect when I was a medical student, and, and all my life I've I've been fighting being overweight, uh, and I tried different diets. Started with the Atkins diet back mm. in 2008 <laughs> for a year. I did it. I lost weight, but I didn't feel at my best. My skin was breaking out all the time. I felt fatigue, no energy for exercising. But then you know you keep digging, digging, and then I came up to vegetarianism, then veganism, and then I was high raw. But I knew about raw veganism since then, since I discovered vegetarianism. So I never implemented it on myself because I believe it was too drastic. Coming from the medical uh, right. system, you know, you, you get um, educated in the old school way of thinking. Like we need animal protein, we need yes. grains, we need uh, portions. So all these things, you know, were at the beginning difficult to conciliate with this lifestyle. But the more you learn and actually when you experience it, it's life transforming. So... I've been raw vegan since January 1st, 2018, and I don't see why I'll go back. Um, and one of my uh, missions in life is that the medical community, the plant-based doctors community, embrace this lifestyle as another branch of plant-based living, which is raw vegan plant-based living. 
and uh, you know all the myths and misconceptions uh, are you know forever forgotten and we can actually you know implement this lifestyle in the majority of the people because it's not only you know that doesn't only make you uh, perform at your best athletically but it reverses diseases and that's you know my passion nowadays because I can see that this is the way the reason why I came to medicine to help people that I didn't find before, but now, you know, I, I, I know the answer. So, right. Yeah. yeah. Amazing. And is it not true that in, in, in the medical doctor profession that, uh, in the education there's, uh, I've heard something like 12 hours of nutrition yeah. is all you really learn in your whole. Yeah. Depending on your medical school, but it doesn't go beyond 24 hours. In my yeah. case, I had three months of nutrition in my third year of medical career, one hour every week for three months. So 24 hours to be precise or 16 hours I think three times four yeah well I, I I'm not good at math but yeah, yeah. either way it's, <laughs> it's, it's definitely not a focus nope. right now in in conventional western medicine it's not and we've talked here a little bit about some some of those those challenges uh Chris that you face when you're taking that step to um becoming a raw vegan mm -hmm. and um Let's talk a little bit about like what are some of the reasons, the positives that we might want to transition to this this lifestyle, and um, and the challenges that we do face along the way in terms of the fact that you know we're here at the Canada Fruit Festival and um, it, at the at the moment like this isn't a very big community of people. There's not you know there's not a ton of people doing living this lifestyle, and as sometimes I think we can struggle with feeling alienated in a world where. You, you know, people are choosing to eat fast food. And... You know, I mean, uh, beyond like disease reversal or prevention and athletics, you know, all those types of things, I've seen so many people just reach a higher state of vibrancy and happiness and contentment and content connection to themselves and to everything yes. it is, to all life, you know what I mean? The way I look at it, you know, like, I mean, I was, I was severely depressed, like I said, you know, and step by step, I started feeding myself more of mother nature's love more of the foods derived from mother nature from all the piranhas from all the energies from all the elements all coming together for our nourishment for our connection our embitterment and you can't help but feel better you know that's one of the main reasons why i do what i do is because this is a vortex of positive change you, know, mm -hmm. you start feeding yourself these foods and every single shadow within yourself gets light on it Absolutely. you know it gets opened up and you either see that acknowledge it love it and grow through it or you shove it right back down to ferment and get louder and louder. It always knocks louder and louder, but it is a huge opportunity. So this lifestyle, it, it uplifts you and it uplifts the planet. It uplifts your fellow brother and sister because they see the changes, right? And proof's in the pudding, you know? Mm -hmm. It's a beautiful change. Yeah, it's very much you are what you eat in terms of putting this food into your body and experiencing. Mm -hmm. I, I feel like it's almost this, for me, it's started this uh, like avalanche of change is the way I kind of describe it is once you start putting that food in your body all of a sudden all these other things become clear and you have these different awakenings and realizations that that really this is the way that mother nature intended us to to eat and where so many of us are in in this world today living very much out of touch with that absolutely absolutely I totally agree so I like to say there's two types of food, produce and reduce. <laughs> so you're going to have to choose every day which one you're going to put in your body. And the foods are either going to help you produce in life or they're going to reduce in life. And definitely vibrationally, fruits especially are the highest vibrational foods there are. 
And you think about a fruit tree and even plants in general, they capture light, right? Another word for light is lux. Another word for lux is knowledge. You're eating information. And the information mm -hmm. is either going to be uh, something that, quote, enlightens you or something that you know, puts you in the other direction. In terms of the mainstream asking me, well, what's the big deal about raw food diet? I mean, it's, it's what everyone wants, convenience, simplicity, and taste, right? And then, of course, to feel good, you know, but to feel good in a way that truly means health, not just stimulation, you know, to not have food act like a drug, but right. actually act like a nutrient as opposed to a detriment, I think is, is vitally important. And I, I just continue to see when people really open up and are willing to try this, uh, diet, they start to realize that they truly do reach their higher living potential. I mean, you look at the word raw and you look at the word raw backward, right? Raw versus war. R-A-W-W-A-R. Yeah. So which, which one do we, we want to align with? And it's vitally important. And, and that's, uh, <clears throat> I think, some of the, the benefits for sure, you know, that people are going to experience the very things they say they want. You know, and even variety. People say, don't you get sick and eat fruit all the time? <laughs> no, because there's still fruits I've never even heard of. And there's things I keep trying to see new fruits show up even in the commercial supermarkets. Like, whoa, what kind of melon is this? Or yeah. I didn't even know strawberries could look like that. Or I didn't know there was such a thing as a white tomato. So, you know, it doesn't, it never gets old. It never gets old. It's, it's got everything everybody wants. It's just a matter of people becoming aware of what really is out there. So they're not locked into just like, Oh, fruits is like apples and bananas and, you know, the traditional things. I and mean, there's way more to it than that. And, you know, embracing the plants and the knowledge that they're actually feeding us this information is, is vitally important. And the benefits just, until you try it, you know, it's like one of those, run the experiment is another expression of mine. You know, if you want to know, run the experiment. Mm -hmm. run exactly. The experiment. Every, every single piece of fruit tastes different as well. It's kind of funny, like, a lot of people go to, you know, whatever, McDonald's or whatever, and wherever you go in the world, they design it so it tastes exactly the freaking same, right? <laughs> Whereas you could have a piece of fruit from a tree today, tomorrow, next week, and it's tasting a lot different. And then you get it from different parts of the world and different varieties. I mean, mangoes have a thousand varieties. You like mangoes? Well, check out the next thousand, you know? like <laughs> It's never ending. You could have a different piece of fruit every day of your life and never taste them all. Yeah, I would like to spend a little bit more on two ideas that Chris and Dr. Sam mentioned. Uh, Chris said that we have deviated from the way modern nature intended us to eat. And uh, Dr. Sam mentioned something that every single piece of fruit and, and vegetable and if you can have some information. So the way the Western society basically is used to eat nowadays is because we have forgotten the way nature intended us for to, to eat. Uh, and, and we are receiving suboptimal information, which is just a byproduct. It's not a whole produce. It's a byproduct that is not even natural anymore. So that's the reason why we, I mean, I, I venture to say the reason why we see so many wars, violence, you know, total disconnect from, uh, from one another. And um, I believe, I strongly believe that this lifestyle not only reverses diseases, because when people feel great, when people are healthy, there is no need for something else. We are constantly living in this state of fear because we are not feeding ourselves with the light, with the information, and with the way Mother Nature intended us to eat. So because we are totally in disconnect, we definitely are living fear-based. And, you know, it's just, it's just like a, a vicious cycle that never ends. But I totally believe that this lifestyle, besides reversing diseases and make it, making you feel at your best, is going to bring peace to Earth. 
Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that one of the bigger challenges that I I know that I've struggled with and I see many people struggle with is using um, food, as, as you said, Dr. Sam, as a drug almost, as stimulation. And um, I know, Chris, you've had a talk here this weekend on kind of emotional eating. That's huge. I mean, and whether we're using food as a stimulation or whether we're using it as a security blanket or a numbing agent, you know, we're essentially using it to negate what we're feeling in the moment. We're using it as a state shift. And it's something that we learn from birth. You know, it's nature and nurture. You know, like when we're young, we get fed breast milk when we're crying. And it's got opiate-like substances in there that calm us down. We get a little bit older. We, you know, eat chocolate bars and candies and treats. We get a little older. We're eating pizzas and beers. We get a little older. Maybe you're dabbling in drugs or whatnot. But it's all an emotional state shift. And when you let go of that emotional blanket, that security blanket, all of a sudden you're left with very potent real emotions and even harder than you did before because you're not numbing them down. We're using less blood flow to our digestive system when we're eating a high vibrancy, easy to digest, in essence, pre-digested diet like fruit. Greens take very little digestion compared to cooked foods. So when we leave that to the side, all of a sudden we're feeling everything way more intensely. And you might have just got into raw food and thought like, oh, this is just going to be great and easy, but all of a sudden you start having a bit of an emotional breakdown. So you're like, wow, I'm not realizing that I felt all this. I, I'm not used to feeling this energy from other people. I'm not used to feeling this energy within myself or these emotions. And unless we look at it as a whole lifestyle and start diving into creating new coping mechanisms to allow ourselves, one, to move with and through those energies and also, two, get away from numbing or, you know, stimulating ourselves, we're going to be in a really tough place. But... The beautiful thing is there is a lot of things we can develop, different coping mechanisms, different habits, and uh, it all just takes time and the recognition that it's a gift. You know, that's a huge opportunity that, you know, if these things are coming up, they're there for a reason and we either grow with them or again, we push them back down, right? And uh, I see it as a huge gift and opportunity to lighten our, our load, not only digestively, but energetically, spiritually, and heal things in ourselves and our past lineage. So it's a... Uh, a powerful, powerful tool, and each of us has to discover our own coping mechanisms. I like hot baths, walks <laughs> in nature, kitty cats, loving connections, relationships, you know, making good food still, but there's a lot of things we can do. Energy work, qigong, yoga, breath work, singing, chanting, you know, so many things. We just find out what we really vibe with and learn really? to grow through these emotions. Mm -hmm. There was uh, one of the attendees this weekend sharing his, his just a thought of his that um, when he when he transitioned to this diet, just being able to appreciate so much more of the, the little things that, that you're kind of numbed, numbed out of when you're often eating not less than the best food. So um, I think that that's definitely, you know, something that happens as we awaken to um, so many more things that we otherwise didn't notice. Yeah, one thing that I'd like to touch on and, and Chris uh, alluded to before is, and when I'm counseling people, uh, I always remind them this: that you know, be be gentle on yourself. You have to understand, the average person, unfortunately, was fed whether they were wet, tired, or hungry. So the point is, from the time you're a little kid, you were taught to eat out of distress, right? Because sometimes, I mean, that's usually the reasons kids act up. One of the three. But if you're not hungry, now you're just learning to eat to. Uh, cope with stress, right? So if that's hardwired in you from the time you're just even a few days old or a few months old, that's a lot of programming you have to undo. So it's really easy to go, oh, 
because I'm not feeling safe or I'm not feeling, well, I know, I'll just eat because that's what I was given when I was a kid is food. And we don't learn how to cope with our emotions correctly. And so food is used as a uh, reward. And, and I always say that's fine as long as it's to reward hunger. Any other thing that is rewarding is, is not going to work because when hunger is not the issue, food is never the answer. Uh, learning to just simply breathe is so vitally important. And uh, we talked a lot about that this week in the Qigong classes. And you think about you're going to have days and weeks without food and water and only minutes without air. Mm. And yet it doesn't get a lot of attention, right? People just assume I must be breathing right because I'm alive. So you're breathing well enough to be alive. It's just are you breathing well enough to thrive? And when, when you are breathing really well, it's so much easier to move through the, the uh, urges or the um, you know, being tempted to eat when you're not even hungry. Because truly, breath is going to reconnect you to your emotions way more than food is. Uh, and that's just, again, because the breath is the psycho-spiritual bridge. It is the mind-body bridge. And in essence, when you look at an emotion, it's energy in motion, Right. The breath is what's going to allow you to transmute the emotion. It's not that we shouldn't feel our feelings, but people get feelings and emotions confused. Mm-hmm. Feeling is hot, cold, soft, rough, um, or so, yeah, hot, cold, um, soft, hard, excuse me, rough, smooth. Those are feelings. And so if I ask somebody, how do you feel right now? I say, well, I'm angry. I say, okay, well, that's an emotion. It's not a feeling. Of course, you get more pissed off, right? <laughs> but then you say, okay, well, where do you feel that? Is it right here in the pit of my stomach? Okay, yes. good. That's the feeling. What does it feel like? It's tight. Like it's, it's okay, great. Now we're getting somewhere. So now what I want you to do is put your hands over that, that feeling and I want you to breathe the opposite into it. So if it's tight, I want you to breathe looseness. If it's hot, I want you to breathe cold. And it's amazing how fast somebody can just transmute an emotion to where they feel it. They feel their feelings for the first time and are able to transmute it so the emotion doesn't become, quote, stagnant energy and solidify in the body because it will eventually create physical dis-ease or dysfunction. And if people just had this simple tool, like, well, all I need to do is tune in and breathe through this, there wouldn't be a need to self-medicate with food because food's not the answer. You know, it, the, the, the thing that's most keeping us alive is, is the air, right? Eight minutes and you're probably brain dead. So it's, it's just to put things in perspective even with food. Because when people get this sometimes, they go, holy crap, like, what have I been doing? I mean, yes, raw food's important, but just in general, there's something even more important than food. And and maybe I should focus even on that, right? Yeah, so that's this is something that I know has helped so many people move through this. You know, I was feeling weak or I was coping with heartbreak or whatever, and I just, I just self-medicated. And so I said, well, maybe we can find another tool, you know, for you to help you do that. And I found that nothing's beating the breath, you know, right now in terms of every time I've recommended it, it's people come back and say, wow, this changed my life. I've been psychotherapy 10 years. You did more for me in two sessions than 10 years of psychotherapy just by teaching me this skill. Yeah. You know? yeah. And you had an amazing uh, breathwork uh, workshop here with Dr. Ali. It actually, when I was doing it, brought me to tears doing the breathing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. People change. There's no doubt. I mean, tears, a lot of tears were shed and you could just see the layers just stripping back, right? It was almost just like, if the ancient yogis were here, they were like, "Yes, look at all the look at all the coasts <laughs> just unwinding, right? All the sheaths are just disappearing, and, and people literally looked like light. Like people looked younger, and if you looked in their eyes, you could just see the light turned on, you know. And I think people uh, have never heard. There's a term in the West called spirita. It means the same thing as chi, prana, ki, kundalini, organ energy. It's all the same universal life force, but 
you know, I've never heard it. So when I did, I was like, whoa, we do have a term. So to respirate, to reconnect with spirit over and over and over or not. Because if you're not breathing, you're disconnecting all day. So it's what I like to call the cosmic cord. You're going to plug in or you're going to unplug. And it's a choice. But you got to practice uh, tuning in and becoming aware of your breath. And then understanding it is a nutrient. Yeah, I was just about to say that. Because yeah. think about people obsess about food. God, I wonder what, what I'm going to make later for a smoothie. Have you ever heard someone say, I wonder how I'm going to breathe later? Right? <laughs> they just never, they're not that in tune, but they should be. We should be obsessing about how we're going to breathe later. No, when I'm in that interview, I'm going to be focused and I'm going to be breathing fully and coherently so that I can be like laser channeling, right? As opposed to, wow, I really want some dates, you know? Like we obsess about food, but to put things in perspective, yeah, I will have one of those later, thanks. <laughs> and then the, uh, you know, maybe we should really put a little bit more obsession, so to speak, on the breath because it truly, and of course the yogi's like, we tell you so, you know, yeah. for so long. But, uh, you know, until you have the experience, you don't really see it. The breath truly is life and life is breath. Absolutely. Well, hopefully we can have you on the show again and, and talk a little bit more exclusively sure. about um, breathing and breath work. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, something I'd love to add to that too is, the thought of obsession, you know, because a lot of times obsession can be looked at as a bad thing. But in reality, when you find people getting into this lifestyle, they become obsessed. You know, when you're learning about breath work, you become obsessed. When you learn about something new, a new skill, typically you become obsessed. So you learn everything you possibly can know about it so you can then let it go and completely let go of the obsession, right? And it's in that place that you find complete ease in its self-mastery. You're doing it just naturally without thinking about it, right? And I just think it's really powerful because... You know, when I first got into raw food, I had my head in the sand with everything else and I felt like I couldn't talk or think about anything else. It was just raw food this, raw food that, raw food this. And, you know, I felt the same thing about skateboarding. I felt the same thing about some martial arts or yoga. And eventually, though, you can let that go and it just becomes total second nature. I would like to spend more on that transitional phase because people may feel great the first two days or the first week and realize, yes, raw food is law and, you know, I'm so excited and I found my way. Yes, that happens because it's kind of like when you're in love, you're getting, you know, like uh, the first initial attraction to the person and you are all excited. But then it comes the phase where you are um, facing your demons inside because this lifestyle not only uh, detoxifies your body at the physical level, but the information, as we mentioned before, that we receive is not only um, ingrained in our DNA, but also in our subconscious and the way that we've been eating before. Um, has been uh, accumulating all this toxic information that we no longer need. So when you start experiencing all this detox process, which is not only physical, because when you lose weight, you lose fat, and fat is actually a, a buffer for all the toxins that your body doesn't want in your vital organs. So you start losing weight, you feel terrible physically. Sometimes, you know, you have these phases depending on your journey. Um, but uh, the, the emotional detox is real. So some people back up and go back to cook food. And as, as Chris was mentioning, uh, that you become so obsessed with raw food that you may feel guilty because, oh my God, I'm the worst. So I invite anyone who is trying to transition into this lifestyle not to blame themselves, you know, mm -hmm. if they back up a little bit. Amen. Because sometimes it's necessary, yeah. you know, like the detox is real. And it can happen strongly at the emotional level more than the physical level. You know, you can tolerate like, oh my God, I feel like now she, now she ate it right now. Or I feel like um, um, slightly dizzy, whatever. That's tolerable, right? But the emotional thing is, is, is the real deal. So I, mm -hmm. I encourage anyone to, you know, not feel guilty. Don't make this lifestyle an obsession at the beginning. 
it will come second nature but once a few months have passed by so it's not something that you can incorporate like in a uh, and go cold turkey it, it can happen probably for some in in four months probably for me to be fully comfortable took me six to eight months and now i can call myself a proudly raw vegan and 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 i you know i stand by it but uh, at the beginning i i went back to cook food sometimes you know so just to keep that in mind that's such a good point that that all three of you have raised that it's really important to be kind and gentle and loving to ourselves and you know not to feel feel guilt any form of guilt for wherever we are in our path we're always where we're supposed to be and um there's there there's certain people out there who can be very judgmental and so forth and you know it's just important not to remember to love ourselves and and be allowing and accepting of wherever we're at in this journey i think you know i think guilt makes a great signpost you know it shows you something that maybe you're not putting as much attention to but mm. if you put all your guilt into your backpack eventually it's going to wear you down and weigh you down right and you know, I think something else that helps as well is to see when other people are judgmental, they're very likely very judgmental of themselves and living in their own psychic prison, right? So if you can just give them love and understanding, just like you'd give yourself love and understanding or love and understanding to a small kid or a kitten that is doing something, maybe pushes the, the thing off the side of the table. You're like, <laughs> you know, it just didn't know, you know, it's in its own place, right? So helps things go a little bit more smoothly. Yes. So if we could maybe get in a little bit more of the uh, the science and what's what's really happening, what are some of the benefits scientifically that we know from the this following this diet and lifestyle? Well, there are different scientific facts. Uh, however, I would like like to uh, touch base on the microbiome because it's a subject, it's a it's a topic that has been recently draw attention from different scientists scientists all over the world. And it's not only coming from the medical community, but also microbiology and all these uh, biological sciences people. So uh, basically what happens is that when you feed your microbiome, microbiome is like thousands, millions, billions of bacteria. I think millions, not billions, but bacteria living not only in your gut, but only, uh, but also in your skin, in your air, hair, everywhere. So the most important um, surface that we have is the uh, intestinal tract is the uh, longest surface, more, longer than the skin. If you, if you cut the esophagus uh, all the way to the rectum, and if you extend that, it's probably a few meters length. And then you unfold it, and all the little crevices and folds, it's, it's huge. So imagine that leaving a lot of microorganisms over there. Uh, if you feed them with the right fuel, they're going to produce substances that are going to make you happy. They're going to produce hormones that are going to signal the brain and say, you know what, we are satiated. We no longer need food. Uh, and then when they, obviously, they uh, they poo because they are microorganisms, that's not going to be as toxic and that's not going to be reabsorbed to our blood, uh, bloodstream. So, you know, every single bite that we give is either building our health or destroying our health. And we shouldn't, you know, forget about our um, army of uh you know, little friends that are helping us to try, which is a microbiome. So don't feed the microbiome with with unhealthy stuff because otherwise the pathogenic microbiome is going to grow and that's going to create a lot of diseases. As a neuropathologist, there are different branches of research and there's a group of people that have found that Parkinson's disease actually starts in the gut because they've done experiments when they transplant fecal matter from healthy people 
I don't know if they were vegan or not, but healthy people, fecal transplant to a Parkinson's disease patient and their symptoms improve and vice versa. This has been replicated in mice, basically. So mice with uh, um, that have the mutated um, gene for Parkinson's, they transplant their fecal matter to healthy mice. The mice that are healthy develop Parkinson's symptoms. So that just tells you how important it is the way we eat. Yeah. I know that there's been growing amount of uh, research and, and evidence of how the, the brain and the gut are interconnected yes. and so forth. Yeah, it was interesting because like <clears throat> toward the beginning of my career, like 22 years ago, there was this nurse I was working with. She was a colleague and she said, this book is fascinating. And so well, what's it about? And she said, it's called The Second Brain. And it was a book by uh, Dr. Gershon. And uh, I said, well, explain more about it. She said, well, all the same neuropeptides and neurotransmitters made in the brain are also made in your gut like serotonin and acetylcholine and dopamine i said no way and so so i think about that it was exciting then but i think gosh it took 22 years for this to become more mainstream i mean this woman told me it's 22 years ago when i was working with her so i've known that for a longest time and you try to tell somebody there's a brain in your gut right they look like you're crazy 22 years later it's like everyone it's the cutting edge science now but it is true and that's that's the other thing that once you're feeding your gut this this food or as i said before this information that's going to determine how you function and there's probably at least eight or ten times more messages sent from your enteric nervous system in your gut to your brain than your brain to your gut so it's like who's really in charge i know there's a there's an i think it's a hygiene saying a good set of bowels is worth more than a good set of brains uh there may be some truth to that so we really have to um consider that and and something um that also that she had said about the uh microorganisms we're polyorganisms we were we're you know we're human beings but we're technically polyorganisms there's so much dna from other species in us more than we have of our own which is pretty wild when you start thinking about that so we have to start thinking in in those terms of of feeding the uh feeding the uh whole self the polyorganism right and stopping the war on terra uh, T-E-R-R-A, right? The terrain of the body. And it's a term a friend of mine, Don Weaver, uses. He's an ecologist. Uh, and he, he talks about that, stop the war on terra, like the earth. Like stop poisoning the earth with pesticides and herbicides and fungicides. But you can extrapolate that to the human body as well. Just just stop abusing it because it's, it, it is a sense of delusion to think we could eat something contrary to our biological needs and still expect to be healthy. I mean, that is just delusion <laughs> i just just say it you know so but the research just keeps coming out that's what's exciting like cruciferous vegetables and and you know preventing cancer and all the phytonutrients and the bioflavonoids and the fruits and vegetables they do this they do this they do this i mean just one study after other in the spices um, such as turmeric and you know and that's been known for a while in the east but finally made it over to the west so we know food is medicine we know food is information so you it's just if people start to look at food a little bit differently and embrace the fact that the science is totally there to to prove that these foods do cause health and other foods do cause disease and dysfunction it's really to me it's a slam dunk it's, it's just whether or not people want to view it as well that's an inconvenient truth and so i don't want to accept it or wow like I, that's all i had to do like it's, i wish someone just told me this like that's all i need is change but fine i'll do it because i don't want to suffer so i definitely think the science is definitely there i know uh, Dr. Gregor's site, Nutrition Facts Org, de he definitely has a lot of research about plants and, and again, everything that they do. But but there's a lot of resources on the web that keep validating like, tons of studies 
of the power of plant foods, including herbs and spices. Tons. There's no doubt about it. Absolutely. You know, something that I always find interesting is, you know, understanding that nutrition is considered a soft science. You know, there's so many differing views, so many different studies, so many different uh, ways of looking at it, but there are very clearly defined lines of how much of certain nutritional aspects we need. We know that we need, you know, in the single to mid-range uh, teen digits of protein and fat for optimal health. Lots of plant-based doctors are really pointing towards this direction. We're a very adaptable species. We can live in a lot of different ways, but we know where how much we actually need, you know. And you know, Dr. Gregor, as Dr. Sam mentioned, he recently has come out saying that the largest cause for all-cause mortality or the biggest reason why most people die of any reason is not enough fruit consumption. And when we look at fruit, all of the different nutritional aspects we're looking at, whether we're looking at vitamins, minerals, uh, we're looking at protein, fat, carbohydrate, flavonoids, antioxidants, we're looking at a big pie picture of the nutrients we actually need. There's no food on the planet besides fruit that matches those as closely to our actual human needs. You know, vegetables are high in protein. You know, they have uh, different qualities and they're very beneficial and they're a huge part of the diet. But a fruit-based diet, it's, it's the longest run dietary choice that we've made in history. You know, like people talk about cooked food being around for a while, but it had only been around for like less than 10% of the time we've been on the planet. And you look out into Mother Nature and she doesn't lie. She doesn't have to have a science degree. You look out and what are what is every single animal on the planet eating? the foods that they're naturally designed for, generally one at a time, when hungry till full, in their pure, raw, natural state. You know, we're the only one that deviates from that, or otherwise our animal companions or ones that scavenge off us, and they have the multitude of, of uh, degenerative diseases we have as well. You know, so I mean, science is just catching up. You know, it's, it's going to come, you know, just like uh, the ancient arts and other things, you know, we're getting more awakened to these truths. It's really simple. You look out to Mother Nature, but... You know, it is just amazing that when science confirms it over and over and over, and that's when the mainstream is going to really catch on. Mm -hmm. One of the things I'd like to ask the three of you also is, in in terms of talking about this, um, just that absolutely the science is there that this diet is, um, you know, an extremely beneficial diet. However, there's been a lot. Of, there's a lot of people who attempt this diet, and a few months in or a few years in, they sort of fall off track and feel that their body is is needing cooked foods or maybe even animal proteins again. Um, what are your thoughts on on that? Uh, I would like to start mentioning that um, diet isn't everything, as Dr. Sam and Chris were mm -hmm. saying, like breathing and uh, connecting with nature, etc. But definitely, uh, sometimes people come to this lifestyle thinking that. Uh, is the panacea for everything that like, is the ultimate solution and they focus so much on the diet that they believe that they're not actually sick mentally and emotionally so some people in this lifestyle overeat on fruits only and neglect the greens or the spices or uh, seeds and that are necessary and vital they have uh, uh, short short chain fatty acids that are essential so some people focus a lot on the fruit. Some people think that raw veganism is uh, not consuming vitamin B12. Some people think that raw veganism is about fasting, and it's not the case. So different people that have fall off the wagon of this lifestyle is because they've been doing things in order to heal other emotional aspects that they have um, with other alternative, you know, healing techniques, which is, you know, fasting has its time and place, and it's a healing modality. But some people don't really need it and they have done like long term, like water fasting for, for many days when 
it's actually not an indication. And then obviously they are nutritionally depleted because when you are fasting, your body's trying to, you know, use um, most of your resources, recycling what you actually have in your body. And if you're not putting in your body anything to replace those, uh, that expenditure, obviously you're going to deplete yourself. And when you go back, uh, they don't do like a, a step-by-step transition into solid food eating. So they definitely feel like the need to incorporate animal products. And I mean, we can bring another aspect here. There's the ethical side. To begin with, these people were never uh, vegan for the animals, but uh, you know, that's a very touchy-feely subject. So uh, we can definitely be healthy by eating raw, uh, raw, a raw vegan diet. But um, I don't know, it's just like not do not focus a lot on this lifestyle in order to solve all your problems. There is more to that. There is more to health. Yeah, there's, there's, this is just one of the keys. One of the keys, mm -hmm. exactly. I think one thing to sum up a little bit what we were talking about before too, there's a great Chinese ancient proverb that says, when a man's science exceedeth his sense, he perishes by ignorance. And so... You know, sometimes you just look at the common sense factor of something. You're waiting for the science to try to validate something that mm. common sense already dictates. Then we're gonna we're gonna end up exactly. in trouble. Um, one of the things I have found because I've consulted lots of people um, in health and wellness in general over the last 22 years is, <clears throat> do you have a tracking system, right? Because if you don't, then you're gonna suffer from what I like to call the great disconnect. And the great disconnect happens when what you think you're doing and what you're really doing. Right, because people, what they think they're actually doing and what they're really doing are two different things. And if you're not tracking in some way, you have no idea. And I get patients and clients all the time and I'll say, well, show me what you've been eating. And, well, I don't know. And, okay, well, then there you go. Uh, what time are you getting to bed? Are you exercising? Well, I like exercise. I didn't ask you that. What are you doing for exercise with the question? Not whether you like it. People like exercise. They like fruits and vegetables. Are you eating them? You know, so it's, it's so simple, yet it's an often overlooked thing. And because in their head, because for all of us, you know, our own world's in our head most of the time. They've been doing this and doing that because they know of it. And it's like you don't know it, you know of it, right? And there's a difference between knowledge and wisdom. Knowledge is knowing and wisdom is doing. So you could have a ton of health knowledge and still not be healthy. Or a ton of health knowledge and still fail because you're not applying what you proclaim to know. So I would, I would always encourage people to try to seek more wisdom than knowledge. Because the wisdom's in the doing. And truly to, to reach the Buddha nature you know, of enlightenment even, and to be fully present and conscious, it's in the doing, it's in the action. You might sit still, that's all well and good, but taking action is what's going to get the job done ultimately. So I really encourage people to have a tracking system and really pay attention to what you're actually doing, not what you think you're doing, because a lot of uh, slip backs and even full on like, oh, I jump and ship now because it didn't work, could be avoided. Absolutely. You know what I mean? I think an overlying theme of this too is just your your health is really only as strong as your weakest link, right? I mean, food is a really, really big link, but only because we're so far off base with it, right? Once you've got the basics down and you understand that, you know, you, you can choose from a multitude of fresh fruits, vegetables, nuts, seeds, seaweeds, you know, properly sourced herbs, uh, there's, there's the sky's the limit, right? And it's just following the things you really enjoy the absolute most. Not coming from a black, white, good, bad, right, wrong. This is what you should eat. You shouldn't eat that. Or getting completely uptight with it. Because, you know, a lot of times people, they may eat the best food in the world. You know, you mentioned you are what you eat. But truthfully, you are what you absorb. 
And if we're not in a mindset, whether it's emotional eating or if it's from self-guilt, thinking that this is a bad food, I shouldn't be eating it, we're only going to partially absorb it. You know, we're not going to really be taking it into ourselves in a, a really smooth, integrated way. And again, food is just the one aspect. I've, I've coached so many people too who like, you know, they may have everything going on with the diet, but they're sleeping six hours a night, you know, or they're a stress case or they feel completely isolated because they've separated themselves from the rest of the world. You know, a lot of people love coming to fruit festivals. I love coming to fruit festivals. They're amazing because you're with community. But if we leave this community and feel separate, we feel like we are so different from other people that we're anxious or we're, you know, feel judged or we judge others for what they're doing. We're really angry because people are ignorant to the, the beautiful bright light that we found. Well, what are we doing? We're really putting a lot of tension on ourselves. We're closing ourselves down and we're completely negating that sense of community that is always around us with our fellow brother and sister, you know? So it's, it's goes so far beyond food and a lot of it is uh, aptitude and mindset. Yeah, I think people also have to remember health isn't just the absence of disease, right? It's physical, spiritual, mental, emotional, and psychosocial well-being. And that's the point Chris just made. And that's the thing that I think most people that have done this lifestyle long enough have figured that out that that is the like the key piece to health is tribe community right or the cycle psychosocial piece uh and when that's there I mean, people are so much less likely to fail i mean the one comment i've hear, heard here all week so far is oh my god i love this community this community is amazing like everybody's so so helpful so quick you know we we had fun yesterday breaking breaking into a, a car because the girl <laughs> locked her keys in the car. And then like, we had that figured out, you know, a solution figured out in less than five minutes for her. It took a little longer to open the door, but at least like we recruited people that fast. We community came together that quick to find a solution. It's unbelievable. Yeah. Fruit, the uh, fruit festivals are amazing. This is, <laughs> this is my second time attending. It's an unbelievable experience. Um, and before we close off here, I just want Ted Carr just popped by the tent and want to give a big shout out to Ted Carr for making this possible. All of you presenters and all the guests who came here to make this amazing experience possible. Um, before we end this show, do each of you have any closing thoughts or comments you want to get out there? Sure. Uh, one thing that I would love to say and, and get across is simply this. The functioning of the body is very complex. Its maintenance and care is very simple. So just always know that, right? You might not understand how a car totally works with all its parts, but if you do simple maintenance and care, most cars run pretty well. The human body is no different. And let's be real, it's, it's the ultimate ride. Absolutely. I'd love to say, you know, I mean, this life is such a blessing and all of the things that nourish us are enjoyable and it's really hard to overdo if we're really present with ourselves. So, you know, enjoy sleep as much of it as you possibly can. Enjoy water, but don't waterlog yourself, you know. Enjoy friendship, but also give yourself some time for your own personal space and enjoy fresh fruits and vegetables, nuts and seeds, the ones you love the most as much as you possibly can. You know, complete abundance and grow with it, you know. You only grow with love and more connection to self, others, nature, and live up to your highest brightness, you know, step by step, bite by bite. Yeah, I would like to remind the public that they don't need to wait for science in order to make a decision to transition into the, life, the lifestyle. Because Dr. Sam was mentioning, science is always behind. We right. as a society, we are making the change and then science moves along like science is descriptive. I mean, the truth is there. Science is just descriptive. So if you have uh, doubts about this lifestyle, um, there is so many research validating plant-based. Chris mentioned a, a study called The Burden of Disease uh, was published, I think, a couple of years ago where they analyzed different factors globally in a multi-system uh, 
study, which is like a, a systematic review. They include all the research around the world and they make conclusions out of it. And they found among the five top factors that put people, um, that make people sick is low consumption of fruit. So it's just like, a, <laughs> for me, it's like a, the ultimate proof that yes, we need to consume more fruit and not be afraid about it. And just remember, nutrition science as a science is such a young subject it's such an unexplored field and many people are you know coming and saying that there are the experts on it but what the numbers say like the longest living people in the world are located in the blue zones and these people are plant-based eaters um, so i mean if we we can look at this lifestyle with different angles but you don't have to wait for for science just use common sense you know Look at the anthropological studies. See who do we resemble, the bonobos, for example. So what do they eat? Do they eat mostly fruits? So just, you know, don't be afraid of it. And more and more, you know, scientific studies going to come and prove that this is the way to go. Perfect. Well, Dr. Ellie, Chris, Dr. Sam, thank you all so much for coming to the show today. Thank Thanks you for having us. Such a blessing. Well, I hope to see you all next year and in future fruit festivals. Okay, for sure. We'll be here. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the show today. If you enjoy our content, please help support us by subscribing to and sharing this podcast or by becoming a Patreon subscriber at www.patreon.com slash Elysium Project TV. That's www.patreon.com slash Elysium Project TV. We'll see you next time.